Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Gianna Fay sharing two birth stories. She is a midwife and excited to share her experience through that lens, providing insight on controlling the factors you can control and instincts as the birthing person versus medical recommendations conflicting with your knowledge. We are grateful to hear her truth today. Hello, Gianna. Welcome to the show. Hi, you guys. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm geeked out. (laughs) We are excited to have you here as well. Can you start by telling our listeners about yourself and your family? Yes, sure. So um, about me personally, I am um, the youngest daughter of three girls. Um, Everyone, I'm originally from Southern California, so my family is there. We're the only ones that live away. Um, I am a wife to my husband, Evan. He's a very... Um, ambitious man. Like I, uh, I always say he wears many hats. He's an entrepreneur, real estate investor and developer. He's a U.S. Air Force Reserve officer. He does a lot of things. Um, but he really motivates me and pushes me to do a lot of the things that I do. Um, we are the parents to two boys. Um, they're two and one year old. They are 15 months apart. So we have a busy, loud household that might break through um, <laughs> during this recording, but they are lovely. And um, I am also mother to our third. I'm pregnant, about 22 weeks pregnant with a girl this time. So we're very excited. Um, so she will, yeah, she will complete our, our little family, our Faye family, um, and bring some much needed feminine energy to this household <laughs> for me. Um, that's about me personally, professionally, I am a certified nurse midwife. So I have, um, we live in the Metro Detroit area. So that's where I work now. But since being a midwife, or really a birth worker, I have worked in Southern California and like out of hospital birth centers, I trained there, I worked as a labor nurse there. We've lived in Alaska, um, which was amazing. Um, I was a midwife in Alaska, at the Alaska Native Medical Center learned so many things there. Um, and now here in, in Michigan, in Detroit. So I've worked in private practice, um, but that didn't really work with our family right now. So right now I work in a, like a laborist role um, as a midwife in a hospital, um, which again, I'm sure I'll share a little bit more about. Um, so that's, yeah, that's about me. All the things. Y'all are all the things, <laughs> right? <laughs> It is. Sounds exciting. (laughs) Traveling the world. So um, you are going to be sharing um, both of your son's um, stories today. And so um, you can kind of mix and mingle. You can share one and then the other will just kind of go with the flow with you. But can you start off by telling us about your pregnancy? Yeah, I think you know, as we talk and I, you know, nerd out on everything, I think it'll probably be more of like a continuum. Also, they were so close together. It was just like a crazy kind of world in time in my life. So yeah, I think I'll do it a continuum. So our pregnancy, um, my first pregnancy, Jacob, he's my first son's name. I just described that whole experience as joy, 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 joy. I, um, my husband, Evan, we were in Alaska. Um, my husband, Evan had been deployed to Korea for about six months. And so we knew that 
when we reunited, we we'd want to do this thing called make a baby. Um, and so I kind of physically was preparing myself. I was exercising a lot while he was gone, hanging out with girlfriends a lot, trying to get all my me time and all that. Um, and then literally the month Evan got home, we conceived Jacob. Um, so, so lucky that it was, you know, so kind of easy the first time. So it was joy, joy, joy. Um, I was very excited. We had uh, access to the military base for care as well as where I worked. And for a while, I wasn't sure where I wanted to kind of birth, but I looked into, I knew what I would get if I did prenatal care where I worked. And base had a really cool option called centering pregnancy. I don't know if you've heard of it or have clients that have done it. It's like a group prenatal care model. Um, And I really thought that that would be a good option for us because, you know, I quote know everything. I know what happens at all the appointments, but I really wanted to have the experience of being the person who's pregnant and not just, hey friend, yeah, let's listen to the baby. And, you know, so I thought that kind of being anonymous in a different area, as well as in that group setting with that support would be helpful. Also for Evan, who, you know, he always calls himself a mid-husband. So even that first time, he thought he knew a lot. And he probably knew words, you know, terms more than the average partner. Um, But I knew that he would need some support and there would be a lot of learning. So it was great. We did um, all of the, like, physical stuff is done separately. And then you do group sessions talking about topics diet, nutrition, exercise, you watch birth videos. Um, It's led by a nurse midwife at the hospital base. So it was a really cool option for us. Um, And it really allowed me to be the pregnant person experiencing different kind of prenatal care. Um, Super uneventful pregnancy. I worked out all the time. That was one of my biggest things. I was like, I know that's going to help everything. It helped with my mood. Um, especially being in Alaska and it's dark a lot, you know, it just, it helped with a lot of things. Um, took all the pictures, all the weeks, and again, just so much joy. Um, and eventually I decided that I wanted to birth where I worked. I just felt like I'd be the most comfortable. Um, I wouldn't have to think, you know, I really wanted the experience of, again, being the person in labor, being in my body, and not have to be at a different hospital where I don't know the people and maybe question their judgment. Um, where I worked, the Alaska Native Medical Center, I can't get into it. It's an amazing place for a lot of things, including OB. And um, there were 13 midwives, I think. All the OBs were great. Like, it was amazing. So towards the kind of end of the third trimester, I was trying to create my transfer plan. I would go to my really good friend, Wendy. She was the other black midwife at Alaska Native Medical Center. Evan knew her really well. All the nurses that I would want said they'd be there for me, you know, so I was like really curating kind of my um, perfect team Um, and exercising, curating my team. And I, towards the end, again, like the end of the third trimester, did a lot of journaling, a lot of um, introspection, a lot of reading. I read Um, Ina May's guide, which embarrassingly I had not read yet um, prior to that. Um, I really read through the positive birth stories in the beginning a lot, which as a hospital-based birth worker, I think that's a really important part of clearing my mind of all the stuff that I see. Um, I also really enjoyed uh, birthing from within and doing some of the different like art prompts and journal prompts that she has in there. 
again, a different approach. I just knew that I really wanted to be out of my mind. I didn't want to be a mid. That sounds bad. I want to be out of my mind. I wanted to be in labor land. I didn't want to be a midwife. Um, I just wanted to experience birth through my body. I, you know, I think I wanted I wanted to avoid interventions, pain medications, as honestly most people do. Um, but I wasn't like I told myself if I get to a point where I'm miserable, I'm not enjoying this experience. I know what tools I have available to me, and I'll use them. Um, in my quiet time towards the end of my pregnancy, I did get a continual feeling that I was going to be in the OR, but it was okay. Like I kept, it was like your birth, part of your birth is you're going to be in the OR, but it's okay. That's like what I kept hearing. And they're like, it's not a C-section, but you're going to be in the OR. And I was like, what? Okay. Like, all right. So it, it, it um, that continually kept coming up for me. And I shared that with um, my friend, Wendy, who I by now transferred to. Um, she was like, okay, well, you know, I'm glad you feel peace about it, whatever, you know, we're all there, we'll take care of, care of you, but that is something I wanted to mention. So the last week of my pregnancy, I was getting a little slower, exercising was a little harder, I was no longer in the hospital, I was just doing clinic, um, when you're due, basically, that's how they rearrange your schedule, and I, uh, like, two days before went into labor, my mucus plug came out, and I know I was really crampy, but Again, being a midwife, I'm like, yeah, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> um, I mean, it means something, but I wasn't expecting the baby to come right away. Um, and so then at 39 weeks, three days, early in the morning, like four o'clock, I woke up to a huge gush of fluid in the bed. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm actually water broke. Felt like a big pop and huge fluid. And um, I woke Evan up and I was like, my water broke, my water broke. And you know, in true midwife fashion, this is the only time I was in my mind before I got in my body. I was like, oh my gosh, is the fluid clear? I want to feel him move. And I really hope I have contractions because I don't want this to be like premature rupture of membranes and not go into labor. And like my mind kind of went for a second. So, so Evan, wake up, turn the light on. Let me see the color. I'm like laying in all these positions to make sure I feel him move, make sure that I start to feel contractions, you know, whatever. And so I told Evan, I was like, hey, can you go get those pads? I brought home like all these chucks and things from the hospital. Uh, and I mean, it's all over the bed, right? And he comes back with like a little light days pad, you guys. And he's like, here. I was like, all right. Well, yeah, that's that's what I wanted. <laughs> it was fine. Um, so I'd say about 20 minutes after it broke, 20, 30 minutes and maneuvering around the bed. Um I started to feel him move, which was really comforting. And then I started to feel the intensity of a contraction. I was like, oh, okay, yes, these are the things I asked for. So it's happening. So this is great. So um, we proceeded to like do some things. We, we had uh, given our parents uh, back in California these little boxes or like memorabilia boxes. And we said that when we went into labor, we'd call them and tell them where the key to that box was so that they could open it. So we called them, said, you know, my water broke, things were starting. Here's where we hid the key back in your house in California. Please go open it. Look through it. We love you. We'll let you know when the baby's here. So we called both families doing that, which was a really sweet moment. Um, we haven't made me some food and I'm, you know, I was kind of surprised with how quickly it felt intense. Um, I mean, it definitely intensified, but I still was like, wow, even during those conversations, like two hours after my water broke, 
I had to stop and really breathe through them and lean over um, while on the phone with family. So we did that. He made me a little something to eat. Then he poured the bath. And because again, we had planned that I was going to be at home as long as possible. You know, I texted my midwife, my friend. I had an appointment that day. I was like, I'm not going to be at the appointment. Also, I'm not going to be at work. Also, you know, my water broke, et cetera. So she was in clinic that day. So she was starting to coordinate how she can kind of offset clinic patients to be able to be with me in labor when I show up, which was amazing. All the other midwives really just kind of took their patients and that's how that was able to be facilitated. So Evan's pouring the bath for me and he's just excited and, you know, thinking of all the different things that I've told him I'd want to do in early labor at home. And I kind of quickly was realizing, I know I'm still probably early centimeters wise, but like the intensity is picking up. So I'm like, after this bath, I don't know that I'm going to want to do lunges and, you know, slow dancing and all these things that I had told you about. And he's like shaving or something in the mirror. And I had these um, post-it affirmations on my mirror in the bathroom. And he's saying like, your body is not a lemon. You're strong. You know, all these things, which is very sweet. But I'm like, you know, in the tub, like, that's all nice. But like, I'm like, I can't figure out what position to get in in the tub. Like, this is okay. Like, this is intense. So, um, and he's again, you're not a lemon or whatever. Your body was made for this. Like shouting these things. And I was like, okay. So um, I get out of the bath. I get my whatever I'm wearing on. This is April. Um, And it's like a really nice April day in Alaska. It was like snow still on the ground because snow's always on the ground, but it was pretty sunny. Um, So I wore like whatever sweatpants, some some sandals. And I was like, okay, I think we should go to the hospital. It's like 8, 15, 8.30. My water broke around four. And he's like, are you sure? Like, we haven't done this, 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 you know? And I was like, yeah. I was like, I know that again, I'm not quote, very dilated, I'm sure. I just kept saying that to myself also. Uh, I didn't want my, you know, to be disappointed. But I was like, but I just can't imagine being in the car when it's more uncomfortable. Like, I'd rather just get there, be there. Those are my people. I'm comfortable there. Um, we had a lot of talks about a doula. Evan really didn't want one. He just really wanted to be able to step into that role as a support person. And I didn't really fight for it because I knew everyone where I was going to be. He knew everyone where we were going to be. You know, I had, it's like, if there's six labor nurses in there, you don't know that that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> like, you know, like, this is, this is my team. This is a doula. This is my team. So, um, so he was like, okay, we'll go to the hospital. So as many people report, that car ride is not fun. Um, also, it's where I work. So he's been there many times, but he, I'm like, where are you going? Which way are you going? And he wasn't even nervous. He just, I don't know. He's like, this is the way I go. And I don't usually drive with him to my job whenever he, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, this is not the fast way, but whatever. Um, and I called on the way in or he called to say I was coming and they were like, no, Gianna's not working today. And then she was like, oh, G- Gianna, oh, Gianna's in labor. Oh, oh. So that was really funny. So I got there, they do all the hospital things, the IVs, the blah, blah, blah. I went straight to a room. Um, I didn't have to go through triage, which was nice. Um, my midwife was still finishing up in clinic. So it was another one of my midwife colleagues that got me all admitted. She checked me. I was three centimeters. She said, you're three centimeters and like a hundred percent thinned out. Um, baby looked good on the monitor. Uh, you know, my water was definitely broken. It was everywhere. So I was like, okay, that's what I knew. I knew I wasn't 
very dilated, keep doing quotes, but you know, I know this is real. So at Alaska Native Medical Center, we have nitrous oxide as an option. And I knew I wanted to use that. Loved that. Oh my goodness. I, so I asked for that right away. Um, it really helped me focus on my breathing really intensely, just breathe in and out, um, stay focused there. It also helped me. I was really vocal. And so although I was super comfortable, I felt like trapping it in the mask was better than just screaming it out into the room, I guess. Um, so I loved that, used that. My friends who were my nurses came in and, um, you know, again, Evan was still trying to focus me on, you wanted to try this position or let's go up to the bathroom or, you know, you want to try the shower. And for whatever reason, I could only be sidelining with nitrous. Like I was like, no, I don't want to do any of that. This is all I want to do. So stop asking. This is what I want to do. So at a point, it got to that place where, you know, the intensity was really building. And I asked my friend, my nurse to check me. because so I was like, if I'm just there like transitioning, I'll just do it. But if not, I think I'm getting to that point where I'm not enjoying this anymore. I want an epidural. So she checked me and she was like, you're like five to six. And she's like, you know, yes, you're hundred percent thinned out minus one. This is like 10 AM. So my water broke at four, like things are going kind of quickly here. So she was trying to tell me, I know. And she later told me like, you're doing it. So I was like, am I like five or like five? Like I need to know, you know, and she's like, you know, you're five, everything's going well. What would you like? You know? So I was like, I'm going to get an epidural. So everyone moved to get me that. Um, it was someone from anesthesia I'd never met, but I'm in labor land. I'm ooing away with my nitrous. I don't care at this point. I He asked me to sit up and I said, no, I'm going to be sidelined. And he was like, well, I don't know how to do that. And I was like, well, that's how I can be. And so you're going to do it that way. I'd never seen them do sidelining epidurals where I worked, but where I worked previously, they did them that way all the time. So I like knew it could be done. So I'm on my side. I know he's fandangling around back there. Um, the pinch of the lidocaine is, you know, annoying. Um, so he's trying to do it. I, I can feel myself like feeling pressure as he's doing it. And so I'm like, okay, so great. But I was like, it's fine. We're, we're doing it. Let's get this epidural. So I feel myself feeling pressure, meaning like bearing down. Not, I wasn't bearing down. I just felt pressure, like pelvic pressure and some rectal pressure. So he does the epidural. They move me in different positions, see if it works. Wendy, my midwife, comes in. Um, she had maybe come in shortly before that. I don't know. I was in labor land. Evan said she was there well before that. I don't know. Um, I remember her coming in at this point. And I was just starting to feel like I needed to push. And so then um, she checked me. I was completely dilated. I started pushing. Um I pushed for a little over an hour. I don't remember a doling sensation from the epidural, but I wasn't using nitrous anymore. So I thought, okay, this is this is it then. Um, that's the doling sensation. I still feel like I need to push. Great. I don't need the nitrous. So I pushed a little over an hour. Um, everyone was all excited as I started seeing his head. And I didn't, you know, I'm like, I don't believe you. And they're like, no, really? His head's coming out. So um so then he was born and uh, it was so magical. I, there was a moment when his head was coming out and I was like, I feel like my butt's going to turn inside out. I remember saying that. And um, I remember Wendy did something down there um, 
to kind of help him be born, but it wasn't like a long time or really significant. And um, so he came out and she put him right on my chest, obviously. I'm looking at him. Evan's looking at him. Um, he is so light, um, <laughs> which is just a comment that we both kept saying, like, he's so light. Like, he looks like an Alaskan baby born to us. Um, and then I feel her touching my perineum. And so this is like noon. So 4 a.m. my water broke. He's out at noon. And um, I feel her touching my perineum. And I'm like, what are you doing? And I go back into midwife. So I'm like looking up at the tiles where you can kind of see the light tiles. I'm like, am I bleeding? What's going on? And Evan's like, Gianna, look at Jacob. He's on your chest. He's here. And I'm like, yeah, something's happening here. Because I can see them. They're calling people. I'm like, what's going on? And Wendy's like, oh, look at Jacob, like trying to distract me while she's holding my perineum. And I was like, what's happening? So at this point, I couldn't look at him anymore. I knew he was fine. He's pink. He's breathing. He's screaming. He's fine. Um, She was like, I need to have Melissa, the doctor, come look at this tear. She's like, it's pretty extensive. I was like, what? I, you know, it wasn't a long time pushing. Like, okay. So, um, Melissa, one of my really amazing doctor colleagues, comes in, who's trying to look, and I'm feeling it all. So one, that sideline epidural was not, you couldn't do it. He told me I can't do it this way. <laughs> you know, so turns out I probably didn't really have an epidural, which is fine and great. Um, so she's trying to assess it. She's like, Gianna, this is this is a fourth degree. Like, I, this is needs to be repaired. So I start bawling again. I'm back in my midwife mind. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to go to the OR. But this was the OR, guys. I was like, oh, this. But it's Melissa. She's like my favorite doctor. And the baby's out. And okay, you know, so all this is happening. And Evan keeps being, you know, he doesn't know what that means. So he just keeps being like, look at his eyes. And look at this. And I was like, I tore everything. Like, do you understand? You know, and he doesn't doesn't really get that. so, so what happens? They get like anesthesia in to evaluate my epidural, say it's not working, um, and it's bleeding. So they're kind of doing this quickly to take me to the OR. Um, so she was like, I can try to do it in here. I don't want to separate you from your baby. But I'm like, no, I know fourth degrees need to be done in the OR. It's fine. Like, take me there. Um, when I was there, then they gave me a spinal. Then I was like, oh, this is what it feels to have numb things. <laughs> got it. So I got my spinal. Wendy went with her to help her do the repair and learn from the repair, which is really cool. We got to do stuff like that in Alaska. Melissa's doing the repair. Um, and the nurses bring Jacob into me to nurse on me while I'm in there, which was really nice. I don't remember a lot of this. I was very heavily medicated. Thank God for that part. Um, so yeah, so I was in there for a little bit, apparently nursing him while kind of zonked out and, um, Evan did a lot of skin to skin while waiting for me. And then, um, yeah, I went back and was in the hospital about two nights and, um, yeah, so that was Jacob's birth and pregnancy. Again, I kind of did it on a continuum. Still joy, like that's all I felt until the moment of, oh my gosh, you're having a fourth degree. I did get really scared about what is all this going to mean. But I just had so much joy. Everyone that I wanted to be there was there. I really got to like 
be in my body, which is what I wanted to do. I didn't want to pay attention to the monitor. I didn't want to think about what are the next steps and what are the options. I just wanted to be in my body, experience this with my husband and birth my baby. Um, and I did. So that was awesome. Um, yeah, that was awesome. The immediate postpartum was kind of rocky in the hospital. Um, scared to poop like many people are, but I think I was extra scared to poop. I was, I think I took a strong pain med once, but the rest of the time I really only took ibuprofen and Tylenol. Um, I remember thinking it was going to hurt a lot more than it did. And I, it, I mean, healing from my repair really felt to me like what many people experience or what they say they experience with smaller tears. Um, so I was grateful. I mean, I had, you know, discomfort. I couldn't sit for a little bit. It was itchy and all these things. But um, I don't know if it's because I worked out so much. I did a lot of squats and I did a, oh, while I was pregnant, I did like a, like a woman's physical therapy focused exercise training program with someone on base. That was great. So I had kind of practiced all that pelvic floor stuff. I don't know if that attributed to it. I also know, you know, she took me to the OR and did it, took her time really doing it versus kind of rushing to do it in the room. Um, so I think a lot of factors contributed to that. But my my not immediate, like after that first week, the weeks off postpartum was really fine. I was kind of surprised to the point where I was like, you guys lied. That wasn't a fourth degree. Like, I don't know what you guys, you lied. Um, she was like, no, it was, it was. So um, <laughs> I uh, went to pelvic floor physical therapy, like right around six or eight weeks and jumped on all that and still felt like I don't really, you know, she did a really cool internal assessment. I would nerd it out on that. I was like, what are you feeling? What are you looking for? Ooh, this is so cool. Um, Cause I'm not trained to do that. Um, so I did some work with her for a little bit and again, still joy. I mean, I, Loved my time off. We were the first of our friends to have babies. Everyone came over and loved on us. My mom came up from California to visit. Um, it was lovely. So joy. That's really all I say. There are like three things that pop out to me. The first being the mid-husband. I think for many birth workers, <laughs> our, our partners really do feel like they then also have the title like yeah. my husband also thinks he's a doula yeah. but it's interesting when the time for ourselves comes up it's things like oh bringing like a a light pad when you've asked for giant chucks pads it's right. like nope yeah. mid-husband you're not <laughs> yeah. 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 come on yeah right exactly. or you know moaning in the tub and he's still reading yeah. through the affirmations like not connecting where you are yeah yeah, the yeah. balance of what they know and what they actually know. Mm -hmm. um, but besides, you know, being super thrilled to have you share your story today, I think another perspective um, that is nice is some of the things that you brought up that one thing I didn't know was being able to the possibility of a sideline epidural. I know that particular anesthesiologist said that ain't my thing. That's not my, my range. But you were like, no, we're, it's possible that I didn't even know that was an option. So being able to hear from a care provider of like, yes, that is an option. That is something that can happen. Because I think that would be really beneficial for a lot of people if they knew that that was an option. Right? Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. But like many things, it's not an option if you don't actually know how to do it. Right? I mean, so... 
Right. And as the anesthesiologist. Exactly. <laughs> Have I you know, actually done this? <laughs> Don't let me be your first. <laughs> He's like, today I do, apparently. Because in California, where I worked, it was very busy. And the OB only did, I mean, I'm sorry, the anesthesiologist only did OB anesthesia. He did not do anything else, which is rare. So he's used to putting in, I mean, they did 700 deliveries a month. He's used to putting in 20, 30 epidurals in 24 hours on people in labor. So that's, and he does it in like seven minutes. So that's how he does it, right? Because he knows that most people, that's, they're comfortable, but that's the only kind of anesthesia he does versus in most hospitals, anesthesia goes to a lot of different areas. Right. Um, so it's not just OB. So that probably makes sense. As to why, let's call him. Yeah. He can he can teach a training. Sure. <laughs> yeah, got a workshop. Exactly. exactly. So. Um, and the last mm-hmm. thing was uh, a really, at least on my end. I mean, I have more things, but I'll see if Danny has other things. Sure. Um, access to your baby in the OR. That that is something because there's so many people who, mm-hmm. if they need to go to the OR, there's this long separation, and that yeah, let's figure it out and make it possible so that we can keep that bonding time as sacred as possible. So, and I have to credit Evan for that. I didn't even, I didn't ask anyone for it. We had that brief conversation where she was like, do you want to go to the, I mean, I didn't really have an option, but she basically was like, you need to go to the OR, you know? And I was like, that's fine. And Evan was doing skin to skin, but he is the one who facilitated with my nurses and stuff like, Hey, she really doesn't want him to get a bottle. You know, we talked about all this stuff and they were like, yeah, I guess we can do that. And so I would like to say that that happened. Um, I mean, it happened, not a lot, but I had seen it happen for other patients. It probably happened because I'm me, you know, that they facilitated that for me. Um, and although I don't really remember a lot of it, um, you know, I, it was nice that he did feed on me. They held him there. Um, he never had to have any any supplementation or anything got to do that skin to skin um and then he went right back to evan to skin so that was really nice yeah there's a point where you stated that most people um in birthing they want to avoid interventions um that stood out to me just because um we often think of like going into birth centers or hospital and like protocols, policies, all the things that just kind of come up all the time and people don't even actually know what an intervention is, right? Sometimes that, oh, this is an intervention, but you don't even know it's an intervention, right? Um, And even, even down to like epidural, so many people come into birth and just want to know their own limits or know how far they can go. And, and, and right. just allowing that space for in that birth space, like, yeah, I'm probably going to get an epidural, but I'm going to go as far as I can go. Right. Um, you know, or whatever your plan is, even if you don't plan to do anything or have any kind of medication, most people go in just with the curiosity. Right. Um, just like what it feels like and how intense does this actually get. Right. What are they all talking about? Yeah, I, I, I see that so much with especially first-time families. Um, it's not like a preparedness always, or even knowing what it, what the different stages, what things are going to look like. It's just that I'm curious, how far can I go? What, yeah, what does this feel like? And I should clarify when I say interventions. Yeah, I meant very specific things. Like I was fine with an IV. I was on the monitor. Like these are all interventions from the moment I got into the hospital, but I was birthing in a hospital. That is what I wanted. That is. So I knew there were certain things that in my mind were non-negotiable or 
you know, it wasn't worth the fight, if you will. Um, so yes, when I say interventions, yeah, I meant like epidural and internal monitors and C-section and things like that. But you're right that most people don't even know that the moment I put you in a bed and put a monitor on, that is an intervention. Um, so yeah, it is interesting. I do think most people go into birth not wanting any or saying that. So yeah. And lastly, that piece about staying in your body, right? Um, it's, it's really like, I think as birth workers, we know that connection so much more than others are able to see it that like a lot of the um, blockage that we have to being able to um, find our limits comes from the mental piece, like just the fear, whatever we're holding on to or um, so just being able to stay in your body, um, how powerful that was for you. Yeah, it really was. And again, that was one of my prayers and mantras that I listened to and journaled about all the time. That's really all I wanted. However else it was going to go, I just wanted to experience. I think I wrote down, I want to experience the momentum of birth and like go to labor land. That's it. And so Evan to this day still claims that nitrous made me really high. And um, he's a mid-husband. I was like, you've never seen anyone in labor land. <laughs> so I think maybe I had a little bit of effects from that, but I also was in labor land. You know, it was, um, I'm really glad I got to experience that. Um, so, so yeah, so that was his birth and the postpartum experience, which is kind of jumbled up into getting pregnant the second time, um, was filled with a lot. So he was born in April. We were, Evan was getting out of active duty air force and we were moving in July. So there was a lot to coordinate. That's three months in July. So I was off on maternity leave. I went back to work shortly in Alaska and then we moved. We picked up, we drove nine days in a car with a three month old and two dogs from Alaska to Michigan. Um, it was an adventure. <laughs> we had mapped it out. We had planned but I'm like nursing in a car with a baby. I mean, we have lovely memories now to tell everybody, um, all of our kids when <laughs> they're older. But I mean, I didn't, I don't really remember feeling blues or any issues like that. I was on so much adrenaline um, in the couple months after Jacob's birth and moving. That's really what I experienced with him. Um, I moved. I started a new job here. I had never been in private practice before. This is the first time I was in private practice where you know, like I really got to do like um, true midwifery in the hospital setting. There were four of us. It was great. I literally started the day after I got here, um, after we drove nine days in a car. Um, and, you know, my employment was really important because we moved here with Grims of Grandeur for investing in real estate and things like that here. And Evan's a real estate agent, but like, that's it. Like he didn't have anything here yet. Um, we had some investments other places, but like my job was it. So I was really excited. I loved it. I loved where I worked. Um, got into the groove of births here. Um, learning Michigan, learning myself as a private practice employee versus kind of a group health model employee. And uh, around October, so Jacob's like five, six months now. I'm nursing. I'm pumping. Daycare. I'm figuring that out. That's a whole nother thing. I had thought we were going to do a nanny. I met her in person, didn't like her. So there's all these stress. I was like, she's not going to watch her kid. And Evan's like, well, she's just going to work tomorrow. I was like, well, I don't care. 
You have to watch him. I don't know. I'm not comfortable. We got to figure out this daycare stuff. So I'm looking at daycares and figuring out what I want, where I want it to be. Because I worked about 20 minutes. Do I want it closer to home, closer to work? Uh, I'm on call. And so I'd never been on call before. Evan, I had um, in midwifery school, like when I was at the birth center, but Evan didn't live there. Like I didn't have a kid. I didn't have a husband being on call. So he's like, are you coming home? And I was like, well, I don't know. She's going to get an epidural, but I just stay here. But, you know, and he was like, okay, well, I'm with Jacob. I'm like, I know. I don't. So it was really stressful coordinating. I loved and was very passionate about what I was doing, but it was really hard on my marriage and hard on the new motherhood journey um, with care, pumping, just figuring it all out. So that was, I guess, the height of kind of a, any kind of negative feelings I felt in postpartum with Jacob. Um, but I kind of just, again, was still going on adrenaline is what I felt like until I was, my 30th birthday was in November. We were going home to California and I had planned a big thing with my sisters and my best friend. We we're going to do all the wine and all the spa and all this, this stuff. And I didn't get my period. And I was like, mm, never late on my period, but like breastfeeding, which I know is not, an effective birth control. Um, and, you know, like how much couple time are we even having anyway to have that even be a possibility? Like, this is not, this is not. So literally the day before we're supposed to leave, I'm at work. I graciously took some pregnancy tests from work, from clinic. And I came home to Evan. I was like, I need to pee on this stick just to know that we only go home. I can, everything can be fine for Thanksgiving is our birthdays. And I was turning 30. So we peed on that stick and it came up with the bright two lines right away. So I'm like six and a half months postpartum and um, pregnant again. So and leaving tomorrow to go to California. <laughs> so we were very shocked. Um, so that's why I say I feel like my postpartum, again, as you guys say, it's forever, but it really changed at that point. I feel like the adrenaline that I was running on stopped at that moment. And it felt like, um, not that moment, but within those first couple months, it felt like, oh my gosh, you've had all these changes. Like I imagine what it feels like when you get attacked by a bear and then you don't feel anything. And then all of a sudden it all hits your body. Um, I think that's what I started to feel like, like two, three months into my pregnancy with Elijah. Elijah's our second baby. Um, I was just like, oh my gosh. I had a whole human. We moved a whole state. We moved into a house. All of our stuff is still all over the place. I'm at this job. Jacob has been to four daycares and I still don't know which one I want him to be at. I don't, you know, like everything. And now another baby's coming and what's going to happen? And am I going to tear again? And they're going to ask me if I want a C-section. And I haven't even thought about any of this stuff. Um, so it really hit me hard. I started to really feel a lot of overwhelm. Um, early in my pregnancy with Elijah. So that pregnancy was entirely different. So that's November of 2019. Then this big thing called COVID starts in January of 20. It doesn't start, but that's when here it really ramped up. So I'm like, whatever that is, four months pregnant, January, 2020. Oh my gosh, I've moved. We have no friends. We have no family. What daycare are we going to go to? My house is a mess. There's stuff everywhere. Uh, my job is really demanding. It's hard on my life and my husband. What am I going to do? I can't do this job with two kids. Something's got to give. I need to figure this out. So, um, 
you know, that pregnancy, I say it was a lot of logistics. I um, was really trying to set up myself or family for kind of a better space. Um, I call, you know, Jacob was like my joy pregnancy. Elijah's like my blessing pregnancy because it was a surprise. So blessing. Also, I really, I worked through COVID um, as a healthcare worker. He was pregnant and saw a lot, a lot for pregnant and non-pregnant people, um, a lot. And so I just continued to focus on the blessing of myself and my healthy baby, myself and my healthy baby. Um, So at that point, I shifted jobs. That's when I started the laborist role. So I'd only been in that private practice about seven months. Again, I really loved. It was just too demanding. And so now I did shift work. I do still shift work. Um, I know when I'm going to be at work. I know when I'm not. I actually work night shift, which works better with family life for me right now. Um, Essentially, I help keep the labor and delivery and triage unit flowing. There's residents there that run the unit, um, and I essentially help them. That has been a huge... I've never worked with residents before this, um, so that's a whole other thing. I've learned a lot about how they learn. And what they learn. Um, and so switch jobs, figuring out where I'm going to do for care. <laughs> I um, connected with the Metro Detroit Midwives of Color when we first moved here. And a lot of them work in this, or not a lot of them, but a lot of the ones I connected with work at a big group health center um, called Henry Ford. So I was like, I'll go there. I know them. I'll go there. It's really close to our house. I'll go there. But I wasn't like prioritizing you know, I wasn't in the same mode of like curating my team. And I was like, here, I'm just going to go there because I know these people. I'll figure this out. And um, so I started care there. And then I started working at my new job and found out that it had this natural birth center in addition to the L&D. And there were practices that had midwives and OBs, you know. So I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. I was getting to know the nurses. Again, I had such a positive experience birthing where I worked the first time. It's like, that might be cool to birth where I work. Um, so I started looking into transferring care to one of those um, practices with midwives so that I could birth in the natural birth center at the hospital. So I transferred care around like 30 weeks. I had started this job at like 24 weeks. So um, transferred care to them. I really liked them. Um, you know, that pregnancy, I did exercise not as much. Um, probably because I had a small kid and a new job and night shift. But I did still do those pregnancy exercises that I had learned the first time, some videos I had gotten. Um, But again, really, it was mainly just staying above water through COVID and um, new job and, yeah, the logistics of switching practices and all of that. So this is where things took a turn. So I... Like we talked about, or I guess we talked about that prior to starting recording, um, there's a traditional L&D and then the natural birth center on my hospital. However, you have to meet criteria to get to that natural birth center, as as there should be. Like you can't have hypertension or, you know, you can't, can't have had a C-section before. Um, so I already met those kinds of things. But you needed, one of the policies is you have to have a growth ultrasound within 21 days of... Um, showing up in labor in order to go to the natural birth center. So in my hospital in triage, you get an ultrasound when you're admitted. That's not standard of care. We do that because we're a teaching hospital. Who does that ultrasound? I do. Midwives aren't trained in ultrasound. I got trained on the job. So I just say that to say the accuracy of these. I don't know. And so 
So in my mind, I'm like, okay, logistically, I want to go to the natural birth center, but I know that means I need a growth ultrasound within 21 days, but I just want to show up eight centimeters and I don't want anyone to do an ultrasound on me when I show up eight centimeters. So let me just go ahead and ask for this ultrasound. That's totally unnecessary. I'm going to opt to ask for a 36-week growth ultrasound so it's on the charts so that when I show up in labor, I don't have to have one and I can go to the natural birth center. And so this is how an experienced midwife falls into the cascade of interventions when I ask for one in the first place. (laughs) So I have my ultrasound about 36 weeks in the office and the ultrasound tech is taking a long time. She's getting these measurements. I'm like, what's going on? So after she, I go to the appointment and it wasn't one of the midwives I was actually, it was one of the PAs, um, midwife had a family emergency. Um, and she was like, okay, you have severe fetal growth restriction. This is dangerous. You know, you're going to, your recommendations end up, you know, going through all these things. And my mid husband, Evan is like, what? And midwife, non-birthing person, me, or let me just say not midwife, me, birthing person, me is like, everything's fine. I, I'm on the same weight gain. My fundal heights have been normal. He moves all the time. I asked for this ultrasound. I wasn't indicated. And now all of a sudden it's this emergency that he's really small and I need all these things. So that's kind of birthing person me. At the same time though, I was like, oh gosh, it has been a pandemic. My dad was really ill at the time. I'm in California. Maybe my stress is like, maybe that is contributing to it. Maybe that's what's happening. Midwife me is like, gosh, another person in the system of like an intervention that begets another thing, begets another thing, you know, what are we going to do? So all I knew to do in that moment was she was recommending I be induced and I at 38 weeks and I was like, okay, I'm going to get a second opinion. I don't want that. I know. So let me get a second opinion. So we scheduled a growth ultrasound in the hospital with the maternal fetal medicine team for Monday. This was a Friday. So all weekend though, Evan's looking up intrauterine growth restriction and getting really worried and Elijah's sick and just get him out. Like, it's fine. You've had a baby before. The induction will be fast. What if something's going on in there? Like he's really concerned. And I'm like, but he's fine. Like I didn't even need that one. I did it to jump through the hoops to be able to go to the place I want, you know, so I'm just really struggling. Like he's fine. I'm fine. But right. Am I? okay, there is a pandemic. I'm stressed. George Floyd was, Elijah was born in July. George Floyd was like, you know, so I'm like, okay, okay, let's just get the second ultrasound. We get the second ultrasound that um, in the hospital with the maternal fetal medicine doctor that knows me ish. I've been there, what, like four months now working. And he's like, he gets even smaller measurements. And, you know, he was very nice. He's actually black too. And he was like, you know, I know, you know, the recommendations of induction at 38 weeks. He's like, your Doppler studies were normal, which is kind of something that looks at the health of a placenta giving nutrients to the baby. Um, so he's like, you can keep going with testing until spontaneous labor if you'd like. Um, I, but I have to officially recommend, you know, an induction. So in my mind, I'm like, I'm not, if I start doing testing every two to three days, I have an appointment and I'm looking at the baby and they're doing all this stuff and they're measuring fluid. There's no way I'm going to get to spontaneous labor that way anyway. The moment, again, you start this train of interventions, baby small, we have to look closer at the monitor, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So, and then Evan is still like, something's wrong. Let's just be induced next week. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. And I'm like, nothing is wrong. 
right? Nothing's wrong, right? Like I just kept going back and forth in my head. So I was like, I'm not going to get through, again, all of this testing. I should, I'm just going to go forward with an induction because, again, I'm not going to make it to spontaneous labor anyway, is my thought. Two, this blessing in disguise, still a blessing. After that ultrasound, the hospital called me and was like, by the way, your insurance doesn't come here because I'm not on our hospital's insurance. I'm on military insurance. So I was like, what? So this is like 37 weeks, five days away from needing an induction or whatever. Either way, I'm full term. I'm going to have a baby soon. So the old, the Beaumont, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, where I work, called me and was like, your insurance isn't covered here. And I was like, oh, okay. So we called our insurance. We're doing more logistics. And they're like, yeah, if you go there, you have to pay this big amount of, out of pocket. Da, 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 da. So blessing. Okay. That's great. That would have been a lot more than we planned. So I call up my homegirl midwives from the other place. Like, hi guys. Hi. Remember I transferred. Hi. Yeah. And so I'm coming back. Hi. And so I'm IGR, but I'm not, but I need an induction in five days, but I don't think I do, but help me and schedule me. Love you. Bye. Like literally is, is what I did, which I realized having that access, knowledge, whatever, most people can't do. So I'm literally now transferring back to this other system days before my quote needed induction. Um, they facilitated all that for me, which was amazing. Um, yeah. So that pregnancy was, I did, I, I probably, I, I, I don't know. It was just a lot of logistics, a lot of surviving COVID, um, and just blessing, just trying to look at everything as a blessing. So scheduled my induction and um, was the total opposite of being in my body. Total opposite experience. Um, total opposite. That's uh, all I can keep thinking and saying. Um, it started with a balloon, cervical ripening balloon, to and COVID swab at the same time. Not literally, but in the same interaction. Um, to, you know, uh, what happened after that? Cervical ripening balloon, a couple hours later, it came out. Pitocin, and I know, right? I know the steps. Like I know what's going to happen next, and so I wasn't able to be in my body at all. It was like this is the next step. Doop doop. This is the next step. Doop doop. Continuous monitoring of the baby the whole time because he's small and we're concerned. Um, so I get up to the maximum of pitocin because I know what that is, and nothing's happening. I mean, I'm contracting every three minutes, but they're not painful. Um, every five is painful. Um, and so I just, you know, so my induction started at night. This is like the afternoon, the next day I'm like starting to have a breakdown. Like this isn't happening. I'm going to have a C-session. This is horrible. This is not what I wanted. Everything, none of this is what I wanted. Like what's going on. And I just started to kind of have this breakdown. And Evan was like, my mid-husband did step in at this point And he was like, okay, I don't really know what to do. So I'm going to call Wendy, which was my midwife the first time who knew-ish that I was, like, she, I had told her over the weekend something like this was happening. But Alaska is a very different time zone. It was just amazing that she even answered. And um, she was like, what's going on? And I just bawled on the phone with her. And I was like, this is what's happening. I'm at 20th pit. Nothing's happening. And the balloon's out. And I want them to rapture me, but I don't want to. Like, I, I don't know. I was just losing it. And Evan's, like, holding the phone. Like, when do you talk to Gianna? And so... She just kind of really talked me down, really calmed me down, 
I was like, what would you tell your patients at this time? You know, you're not in labor. Because I kept being like, I'm going to have to have a season. It's a failed induction. She's like, this is not that. You know, it was very nice. And um, it was a really grounding conversation to, again, I never was able to really get in my body until the very end. But I got power back in that moment. And I was like, you know what? I know things. And this is what we're going to do. And I was like, okay. You know, I hung up with her. I called the nurse in. And the midwife, which wasn't one of my friend midwives, um, but it's fine. And I was like, this is what's going to happen. You're going to turn this Pitocin off. I'm going to shower. I'm going to walk. I'm going to eat. And then I change the shift. I'm going to get an epidural because I knew I was like three centimeters after the balloon. That's what I had been. They checked me like twice. I'm going to get an epidural and then you're going to break my water. And then I'm going to have a baby and I'm going to change my whole perspective in mine after no one's in here for like two hours and I get to eat and I get to shower and I get to move around. And I'm going to change my mind. And that's what's going to happen. And they were like, okay. <laughs> so um, that happened. I ate, I showered, I reset my mindset, played my playlist, um, change of shift came, all the residents came, everyone met me. It was very cute. Um, and uh, anesthesia came, gave me an epidural. I was still, like, I'm feeling contractions, but I know it's not real labor. I've been in momentum of labor before. I know what it is. Um, and I just knew that breaking my water would probably speed things up, which is the point. But I I didn't feel connected enough to be ready to experience that without the epidural. Um, so they gave me it. And I remember being like, oh, this is what an epidural feels like now. Like that didn't, I didn't have that the first time. So further confirmation, but the poor guy's side lying one didn't work. And um, she broke my water. And very quickly, I start, you can still feel, you know, stuff happening. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's working. Um, And about an hour and a half later, his heart rate was dropping a lot, which I knew because I'm not in my body. And um, I know that that means things are progressing. I was having bloody show, stuff coming out everywhere. Um, So I knew I was progressing, but then they came in and were concerned about his heart rate. And I got one of the internal monitors, which I agreed to. And Um, I was like seven centimeters. And then um, shortly thereafter, it was like two and a half hours after they read my water, he was born. A couple pushes. So he was born, only a first degree tear this time. Again, a very different experience. I can tell, um, again, that the epidural the first time did not work, which is fine. He was born AGA. Of course, he was normal. He was fine. He was not small, (laughs) Um, which is what I knew, I think, deep inside. Um, and so of course I'm grateful that he was fine. I was fine. Um, you know, but that started the sting of like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it, but there was no way that I would have been able to avoid this. I mean, maybe there was, but I just, I just knew that once I had started that cascade of interventions, there was never a way to avoid this outcome anyway. Um, so I never was actually worried for his safety. Again, Evan was at one point, he really was like, Googling and thought something was wrong. Um, so he was out. We were very excited. My postpartum recovery there was nice. Um, it was fine. It was a lot of, I really wanted to get home to Jacob. Um, he was staying with friends here. It's COVID. I want to get out of the hospital. I want to get home. And Elijah acted a little bit like a late preterm. He was 38 and one when he was, but I did have to supplement. I didn't have to, but they were concerned about his sugars. And I was like, okay, if you're going to let me go home, if you give him this formula for a second, can you do that so that I can go home? You know, I was really pushing for that um, with him, which Evan was like, that was a huge difference from the first time. 
you're like, nothing goes in his mouth. And, you know, he wanted me to do that OR breastfeeding too. Um, now I was like, just give him formula so that he can poop and get his blood sugars, whatever you want him to do. Because once he's home, I know I can feed him. But the first couple of days of feeding, he was a little bit like a late pretermer. I did have to supplement a little bit at home to keep up with his peas and poops um, until my milk came in. Again, though, the perspective of knowing that I can nurse a baby was fine. You know, it wasn't as stressful. Um, and then I came home, yeah, with a baby with that, with a 15-month-old, a newborn, a pandemic. Uh, that postpartum was much different. <laughs> much different. Um, you mentioned the change of shift during the labor. Um I know Laura and I often talk to our clients sometimes, like, if we just give it till seven. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I had nothing against my shift. I liked him. I just, and it's not. It's a new energy. It's a I reset. A new energy. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's something to note, though. Um, I often tell people, like, this nurse at 7 a.m. was different, right? Because she just got there. <laughs> it's a fresh day. Talked to her at 5 p.m. and she's had a day. <laughs> she's had a day. And we're human. And sometimes it's like, you know, it's one of those things like you want providers and the people there to treat you the way they should, no matter what time of day it is, right? Um, but reminding clients sometimes that, you know, we're all human. And after you've worked a 12-hour shift, we're not always at our best, right? And sometimes we need to just pause and, and buy ourselves some time until you can get new eyes, new fresh hands and all the things. Yeah. And I know she was busy. I know they were busy. All the monitors, you know, you can see in each room. And I know, you know, again, you know, so I'm looking, I'm like on my ball looking like, oh, look at that room's deselling and this is happening. And so I know they were focused on all that stuff. You know, I'm early in induction. Nothing's happening. So, yeah, I'm sure she was having a day. They were having a day again. She was great. I just was like, I need a whole reset. Everyone needs a reset. So yeah, that is an interesting perspective that I had for sure. I think another interesting perspective that you also have that I that I loved hearing was your midwife brain connecting the dots of, I've been under a lot of stress and that's a possibility of what could be happening to my baby. And I don't think a lot of um, birthing people get to hear that from their care providers. And so they walk away thinking, I did something, right? Like it's my fault that this is happening. Um, as a healthcare worker within this pandemic and all the other things that were going on, like you said, you saw a lot of things. Not being able to process your first birth and all the things that came after that, like the body holds the score. So... Um, even though Elijah was right where he needed to be, <laughs> that you were still able to connect the pieces of like, this is a possibility. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I, yeah. I, I um, yeah. And again, that's why I keep saying, I know he was fine, but not, I didn't because I didn't know Have I, I haven't been taking care of myself. I have been stressed. I have, you know, I am living through this perpetual state of chronic stress. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I and then that coupled with the knowledge of the system, the knowledge of again, if I refuse this, 
and keep going through testing, which I agree is necessary if he's truly measuring that small. I'm, there's going to be an adventure at some point, and then the stress of between my marriage, like again, Evan's really like something's wrong, you know. And um, if I'm like, no, nothing's wrong, you know, that would have been a point of conflict for us too. So um, we were both healthy and fine. The bigger blessing is we weren't stuck with whopping thousands of dollars of hospital bill that would have happened if I would have done it. If I had never had that second opinion ultrasound, I that yeah. So, um, yeah, that was huge that I could make a phone call to slip right back in where I was, get scheduled for induction. I mean, again, I think of all that, like people don't have that access and understanding and experience. I did all that in a day. Granted, it was a long day on the phone with insurance, blah, blah, blah. But I did it all in a day. You know, that that doesn't happen for people not in my um, position. So a blessing, all of it, a blessing. So, um so yeah, we were postpartum in July, which was amazing. Um, we had a meal train family. It's COVID too. So DoorDash is, you know, people are bringing DoorDash and things, which isn't the most healthy foods all the time. I do. I am more conscious of that going in this third time. But but we were, you know, we felt supported from afar by family doing that. Um, that postpartum, yeah, I've got a 15 month old. I've got a baby COVID. My husband is in the reserves. As I mentioned, this was the first year where he had to go to his, he does one month at a time. Of course it fell. He pushed it as far back as he could, but it fell one month postpartum. He has to go to England in a pandemic with a new baby. Um, so that was interesting. Um, my mother and my sister, my oldest sister and my mother-in-law came. My dad again was super ill at the time. He's since passed. So my mom, I know, really struggled. She wanted to be here, but it's COVID. It's not, you know, my dad can get really sick. And I was like, I get it, mom. Like, no, please don't come. Um, uh, but my oldest sister came. Um, my middle sister didn't come because she is, does a lot as well with my dad at the time. Um, my oldest sister came, was amazing, huge support for me. She has one son, but he's 19 now, he's 18, like, She's so far from this time. Um, she did what she could do. She helped a lot around the house, cleaned, um, was another adult to talk to. Um, it was amazing. She was working from home anyway, so she just worked in the dining room during the day when Jacob was at daycare and helped me with Elijah. And then my mother-in-law came, and she's amazing. Um, she was here too. So during that, it was 14 days of quarantine plus one month, so it had to extend, you know, so that whole six weeks, I had the support of them with me here. And um, again, it was just a lot of survival. We got through it. I know I struggled mood wise more. Um, It didn't really start until after that six, seven weeks, um, to be honest, and nothing bad about Evan. He's amazing and a great support. But I was living in a fairy tale land of I made a schedule without him with these women, female helper people that just get it and step in and are amazing. And he comes back and I'm excited he's back and he's excited to be back with his family. And he didn't get COVID while in Europe. You know, this is all great. But like, you don't just step in the way they stepped in. And like, now we have to talk and communicate and figure out the burden of care, of, you know, um, <laughs> We had not talked about that before. It wasn't an issue with just one. With two, it was a major issue. And um, 
So around when he got back, then I had to go back to work like the next week or whatever, right? So I'm going back to work and navigating, you know, my husband back, which again, he is the best support, but it is just, it's just different than it was when my mother-in-law was here, when my sister was here. So having to navigate that, um, plus all that, I went through a lot more physically of being touched out, being irritated. The dogs were annoying. Just everything was annoying. No, don't touch me. I know you've been gone for this long, but don't touch me. I don't want anyone touching me. <laughs> um, I didn't. I didn't experience that the first time, so it was hard. Um, it was hard. I started going to therapy probably like six or seven months postpartum, which I'm still in, um, which was really helpful. Probably a little late. Probably should have started sooner. Um, again, we we had to kind of talk through and go through a lot that second time around. Um, yeah, I don't think we really got into our groove until Elijah was 10 months, 12 months old. Really did. I really feel like I was getting into a groove a little more. So, yeah. <laughs> Adding additional children to a family is traumatic and we don't call it that but it's trauma to the brain <laughs> in some sense, right? Um, it's it's hard. It's a whole mental shift of how you divide your time, your energy, and responsibilities. And it can feel very heavy. Yeah, and for both of us, you know, he, um, again, I told you he's very ambitious. While in Europe, he closed on, we closed on two large properties here that are now very great and income producing. And, but I, I mean, he's in Europe closing. I'm having to like go to places here to do this closing while he's not here. So, so he gets back and he now, I mean, he has, you know, he has stressors and things to deal with too. Um, it's totally different being the person who birthed and who's feeding the baby. Um, but he's going through stuff too. And we're not really talking about that. Cause I'm like, here's this one. I'm taking this one. I'm going to work. The dinner's made, but this is that, you know, it's just, neither of us is really talking or just again still surviving and keeping them alive um we had found a daycare by the way that we liked at this point um for the older one um so you know but still it was um yeah it was traumatic that's for sure um yeah balance and i think it's helpful too to hear that it took time to find a rhythm right? That it wasn't something that just occurred, that it took some shifting. It took some some talking through, some processing, all of that to feel like you found a rhythm. Um, yeah. And now you're adding a third. So what has, um, well, yeah, what has prep yeah. looked like? How are, what is, what is, what are your current feelings um, about this pregnancy? <laughs> yeah. She wasn't ready for that one. <laughs> so like I said, without mathing too much, again, between 10 to 12 months postpartum, I was pregnant at Elijah's first birthday. So I'd like to say 10 months is when I started feeling normal and back in a groove and whatever that means. And um, I just really felt like, you know what? If we're going to, we've always said two to three kids, the goal of three, I would love a girl. That's selfish, but it's true. Um, and his family hasn't had a girl for more than 150 generations. There's long, 150 years, excuse me, many generations. 
Um, and I just felt like if I'm going to do it, I need to just do it now. We've got good systems in place. So I thought we're still in more transition, but we've got good systems in place. We've got support. We've made some really good friends here that we've connected with. Um, again, we love our daycare. That is amazing. Um, I've gotten in the groove with my job. So I was like, you know, if we're going to do it, we should just go for it. Granted, it went really quickly the first two times getting pregnant. I don't know how long it's going to take this time because, again, we don't have that much couples time, you know, all of these things. Of course, it happened right away, which is, again, really, I do know that that is great. Um, But it still kind of shocked me that it happened so fast. Um, So... This time, I like to say that I am pregnant twice. I am pregnant and I'm pregnant with purpose. This one, so she's this pregnancy, I'm feeling it's like my purpose. Um, also, her being a girl, which we found out right away, I did it as early as I could to know. Um, I have to be purposeful birthing a woman into this world, um, being a working mom. Um, I have to be purposeful. So this pregnancy, I've been way more intentional with listening to myself. I'm back at and where I was, where I delivered Elijah. That's where I'm at. I'm not going nowhere else. I'm not going. To, I know I can't go to my hospital. It's fine. Um, I I have been taking care of my body, which again, the first time and even the second time, I thought, man, I have to be doing these programs and doing my exercise five days a week. Some days that means I'm doing my 20 minute really good deep back stretch routine because my back is horrible this time around. That's my exercise this time. Um, You know, I'm resting. I nap every nap time that they have. I napped before this. Um, I work night shift, right? So I sleep during the day. I, um, I protect my sleep. I protect my rest. I'm not over scheduling myself this time. Small things in my house. I'm very intentional about, okay, that's not going to get done. And that's okay. Um, I'm going to sit on the floor and play with my babies and I'm going to sleep when they sleep, (laughs) basically. Um, so I've been really intentional about listening to my body this time also about, I'm not letting no, uh, I'm going to do the routine, not routine, the necessary, I should say, which is some of the routine stuff. Um, for her, I just had her anatomy scan, the big ultrasound that was normal. They said they couldn't see some views, so they wanted to repeat it. So I was like, well, what views and what? heart and what exactly was it okay fine it's the heart that seems important we can we can relook at that but after that if nothing else is happening no but you're not looking in there again i'm done thank you so much for your services um so um but i just really feel pregnant with a purpose of like as a working mom going to work every day what am i doing what am i holding space for as a midwife my role now as a laborist is very different um again i don't really have my own patients so I'm really, it's birthed in me all these different, I'm starting a new side business. I've started a YouTube channel. Um, I just want to inform people because I was informed and still fell into, not fell into, again, it's just, it feels like I fell into this cascade of things. And so I'm like, my purpose is to add value, true value to the system that I'm still in. I still work in a hospital. I choose to work in a hospital. 94, 95% of birthing people still birth in a hospital today. So I'm dedicated to staying there. But it's crap. The care we're giving is crap. And it needs to be better. So I've done a lot. I mean, I've done a lot. I'm a new evidence-based birth instructor. I'm starting to teach that. I am um, communicating with the teachers for the residents that I work with. I'm going to start teaching them 
physiologic birth topics like on a regular basis so that they can learn um, normal things. Um, I'm teaching the nurses I work with. So I'm I'm really trying to create, um, I've created this pregnancy coaching consulting business because um, I just feel pregnant with little Chloe <laughs> as well as with this new purpose. By the time she's here, not by the time she's here, that's not realistic, but I need to be doing these things that I know I need to be doing and making this change um, for people that are going to be birthing after me um, and birthing under my care. So yeah, that's so far what I've been intentional with. Um, Evan and I are back in a place of transition. I'm more than halfway there. I need more help with things. Um, we're having that conversation. We're putting systems in place with someone coming to our house to help with him helping more, me being very specific with how help is needed. Um, yeah. So I, ju- I just think I'm, tr- I'm trying to be more intentional um, this time for sure. Uh, you did mention mm-hmm. that you lost your father. I like to hold space for him and you. Can you say his name? Yes. His name was George Monroe Taylor Jr. And um, he was the most, he is a father of three girls. He was the most loving human. Um, He was like acts of service embodied. That was my dad. Um, And he was sick, like I said. um, his last month or so, he was thriving, actually. He did really well. So um, he had heart failure. And, um, you know, I think that when he was doing really well at the end, made my mom and a lot of people hopeful he was going to be here for a while. And maybe because I'm in healthcare and I knew all the meds he was on, all the was like, you know, I knew it was the end. He was so ready. He was a man of faith. He was so ready to go. Um, but it was so hard. It was... Uh, January, where he died, December of 2021. Um, what year are we in? December of 2020. January of 2021 was his funeral. So we had to go home to California during COVID. There was a huge spike at that time. I had small baby. My family, my mom hadn't met him yet. Remember, my mother-in-law had been here. My oldest sister. My mom hadn't met Elijah yet. So it was so emotional flying back for that service. Um it was great. I had to be there. We were there. It was amazing. Um, but we all had masks on. It was weird, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, he was, he was amazing. His middle name was Monroe and that's actually Chloe's middle name. So, um, we had decided when we found out we were having a third girl or boy that the middle name would be Monroe. So that's how I kind of honor him. Um, yeah, moving forward. Thank you. That's beautiful. Thanks. Thank you for sharing a piece of him. Yeah. Thank you. Is there anything else that you want to leave us with, our listeners with, whether it's from your work, your new things, um, your births, yeah. anything else you want to leave? Yeah. Um, we need to talk more. I'm talking so much. I can just keep talking. Um, one, ask questions. Um, please ask questions. You know, that's if you don't know what to ask, have someone with you to help you to ask 
get a doula, get me. Yes, I um, like I said, I'll send you all the stuff for my YouTube channel. I'm really trying to share new stories about things that people ask about all the time, true informed information. Um, like I said, I'm teaching evidence-based birth courses, which are all virtual. I'm doing virtual coaching. You can sign up to have a coaching session with me to just talk through something. If it doesn't sound right, ask questions, get someone on your team to do that. So yes, please find me, follow me, do all that or find a doula, anyone, um, someone that's recently had a baby that looks like you in your system, um, you know, ask them, not someone who had a baby 40 years ago. It's very different. <laughs> um, ask questions. Um, and, you know, I just also want to say, demand more of us, demand more of your OB care team. Um, I know that's going to sound controversial to any birth workers or especially if they're hospital based, we're exhausted, we're burnt out. There's a lot going on. Um, but you should demand more of us. It's your right to know why the cult policy is this or why this is the routine thing. Um, I really try to look at each person, each family as a, its own unique thing, not just put them through the system. So demand more of us, ask questions and, um, Early, though, okay, don't show up in labor or for your scheduled induction. This happens to me all the time in triage. Or for their scheduled induction that I don't agree with because I don't believe in it, but I have to uphold the plan that their attending a physician has, and it's midnight. I work in the middle of the night, and they're like, well, do I really need this? And I'm like, okay, well, I feel ethically obligated to talk to you about this at midnight, but I can't change the plan. You should have asked this of your person two months ago, not right now, <laughs> you know. So I do try and sit with people, and I do. I really um, take the time to explain. But it's hard in that moment, you know, ask questions early, um, demand more early, not when birth is happening or when your scheduled procedure is. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. Thank, Thank you so you. much. <laughs> Thank you so, guys. so much for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. <laughs>